Let's begin in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, for life, health, and strength and all your blessings. I thank you for the people of God. I thank you, God, for the man of God in this house, Pastor Dave and Sister Wanda. I thank you for their leadership. Thank you for their devotion to your word, to your principles. I thank you, God, as we uh, follow the man of God and, and the vision of this house that you continue to keep and bring things in order by and through the Holy Spirit. We all come to worship with different types of baggage. We come here week in and week out, struggling in so many different areas. But you know, you know where we are, you know our thoughts, you know our intentions. And you know that we can do so much better. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and even more so for sending our Savior, Jesus Christ, that down on the cross for those sins to pay the penalty for us. That we might have a right to be called not just children, but sons and daughters and men and women of you. Father, for this journey through James, as we come to a conclusion, at least in this book, we thank you for his principles and applications Thank you, God, for the direction you gave our pastor to dive into this thing we call faith. I pray more understanding. I pray we walk in it. I pray we take it upon us and we live it. Not, not so much that we might prove anything to ourselves, but that we would do it to show you how much we thank you and how much we love you for loving us so much. As we go forward in the word today, we pray your will be done. Holy Spirit, you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin with a scripture reading today before we go in too far, too far forward. You'll see that it says faith of God versus faith in God. And I want to attempt in a very small amount of time, and you may hear me say this again, this principle or these can be taught so many ways over so many more weeks, if I had the opportunity, we could probably spend six months on this topic. I have to do it in about 30 minutes. Faith of versus faith in. James, in my estimation in ministry for over 21 years, epitomizes the transition that every believer must have. We start with faith in God, but soon we transition, or we should, into the faith of God. My uh, burden, if you will, is to be able here at South Potomac today, because this is all I have, to show you the difference between the two. Maybe you already know that in and of, yeah, they're prepositions, sure, but having faith in something and having the faith of something are two different things. My hope is that you leave here not just having faith in God, but applying the faith of God. James wanted that, believe it or not. He did early in James, I think one and, and even in two, he said, you, you, you have not because you ask not. But then he said, and you have not when you ask because you ask amongst your own lust. You want to consume that thing that you're asking, not for him or for others, but for you. Wow. So it's more than just having faith that God will feed me. It's time for us to have faith that God will feed others. It's more than believing that I can make the retreat myself. How about making sure that others that want to come to the retreat can come as well? It's that transition I call from selfishness to selflessness. It's going to be a journey. Let's get started. Not a lot of time. I'm going to read from, before we turn the slide, I'm going to read from James chapter 5, start at verse 13. Now, I know that you're used to the scripture poof, up on the screen. Take your Bibles out, please. Follow along as I read. James says in 13, the culmination of his book, chapter 5, is there any among you afflicted, let him pray. If there's any merry or happy, let him sing songs. If there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of, and, the, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, 
very important, they shall be forgiven him. Early on in the ministry of Christ, he showed on more than one occasion that, that sin is the, is, or, or sickness is a direct link to sin and vice versa. Where there's sin, you'll find sickness. On one occasion, the disciples even asked Jesus, when he was going about to heal a leper man, they asked Jesus, who sinned, he or his parents? The assumption was that as Jesus was healing this man, there has to be a reason, a genesis for the sickness that was directly tied to sin. It took the disciples by surprise when our Savior's response was, it was not either he nor his parents that sin that caused this sickness, but he was sick that God may be glorified through the works of the Son. Always in scripture, there's been a parallel between sin and sickness. Many of us struggle with so many things. We search for prescriptions from doctors, from help, from drugs, whatever the case may be. Anison seems to be the drug of choice of today. I haven't heard on T.O.P. that it stops cancer. When all of us are searching for this thing, the kingdoms of, of God or Christians, they're searching for healings and many times the healness is within their own hearts. Some of us simply need to forgive. Some of us just simply need to start walking in integrity. Some of us just need to stop lying. You would be amazed how the things that you do can help bring conditions in your flesh. So for, verse 15 again, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and watch and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now verse 16, the key verse of the text today. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Yes, your prayers can avail much. Our prayers should avail much. If there's any place for someone lost, hurt, that are, that's in need, that's sick, if there's any place for them to go, it ought to be right here in South Potomac Church in White Plains. Folks ought to run with their sicknesses to come here, hoping that Terry would just pray for them. You would just pray for them. Wayne would just pray for them. Because your prayers should avail, not little, but much. I guess I should have said this from the beginning. This is going to challenge you a little bit. I understand if you're uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable in preparation and preparing this, so might as well feel the same way. But if you receive it, it'll make you better. Amen? Verse 17. Now, this is huge. Elias. Elias or Elijah. Now, watch this. He was a man subject to like passions as we are, which simply means here you have a guy that was just like us. He had our same passions. He had our same temptations. He had our same concerns. But watch this. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Not only was this an amazing miracle, but Elijah could not stop, or Elijah, as is interpreted here in James, could not have stopped the natural reign of his own faith. He had to have been operating out of something greater. God gave man in creation and woman the power to dress and keep the earth. He did not give man power or authority over the elements. So in order for Elijah, who was a like man of passion as you and I, to be able to stop rain for three years and six months, he was using a resource that he himself was not equipped with. Where did he get it from? He got it from his father. For what purpose? Well, Elijah knows what that purpose is. But for the relevance of this teaching, you just simply need to know that someone like you look at your neighbor and say he was like you. Okay, everybody didn't do that, so try again. Look at your neighbor and say he was like you. Someone like you stopped rain. Someone used a resource outside of human capacity in order to do something that ordinarily would not be done. Not simply a miracle, but a work of God. 
He's talking about Elias. Brethren, verse 19, I'll end here. If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. My goodness, look at what you can do when you're doing it of God, not just having faith in God. You can change someone's error. You can save them from death. You can stop the rain. Not that any of us woke up this morning thinking, man, I'd love to stop the rain today. I can remember when Joshua was at war back in the Old Testament, and he asked for the sun to stop. Anyone remember that story? And the sun stopped long enough for Joshua and the Israelites to finish kicking some backside. Then the sun continued on. Again, power to control the elements, not just the man and his own nature, but the natures of creation. What I am subjecting to you this morning, what I'm asking for you to receive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is number one, an understanding that there's a difference between faith in God and the faith of God. And then I'm going to ask you to transition from having faith in God to walking in the faith of God. I want that to be a burden, but a happy one on your heart this morning. I want you to walk out of here asking yourself, why? Is that guy crazy or is there something to this? Is there something in the word for me? Is there a place where I can be where I live above my trials and my tribulations and I defeat them by walking in the word of God not just of my own but those of my counterparts my friends my family and yes even my enemy is there some place for me to be that's greater than where I am I want you to ask yourself that question and leaving and I tell you if you are sincere with yourself by the conclusion of this teaching you will say yes yes indeed there is now here's my example if my Jay was here, he's currently back with the kids. My Jay is my grandson. Jay Charles, he's beautiful. Have you seen him? He's something to look at, man. If my Jay Charles was here, I would hold him up. He's not even two yet. And I'd point to him and I'd say, this represents a young man that has faith in his dad daddy. I refuse to be called granddaddy. <laughs> <laughs> Way too young to be one of those. He has faith in his dad, Eddie. Everything he does and says in the morning, he does for the affection of his dad, Eddie. He gets his shoes on to follow dad, Eddie, to work. When he can't go, he says, okay, bye, dad, daddy. I know, it's a beautiful thing, don't start. I told you I'm a little melancholy already, stop with us. He depends and has faith in dad daddy to provide him food, shelter. Most of these things he doesn't even question because he knows he'll get them. Now consider Terry. Now I know Terry does not look like my son, but for the purposes of this sermon, he's my son. Stand up, Terry, and look at the church, son. Look at that. See, he's already obedient like a son. Y'all give him a hand. That's a blessing. That's a good son. Stay up there. Now, you got Terry on one side, my little grandson on the other. I don't expect Terry to have faith in me to feed him. If he does, Cindy has a problem. <laughs> he doesn't have faith in me to house him. When I get up in the morning, he doesn't get up and grab his shoes and follow me to work. <laughs> Sorry about that. He doesn't do that. Because at this point of his life, of his growth, I expect him not to have faith in me, but to have the faith of me. He has to provide a home for his own family. He has to do for Cindy what I do for Jay. Is anybody getting this? There's a transition. There's a growth. There's a maturity. There is where he was at once, little bitty Terry in my arms, having faith in me. Now, big Terry is the, has the faith of me. He's doing what I would do for him. He's now doing for Cindy. I'll give him a hand. You can sit down now. Thank you, Terry. It is the same requirement that God has of all of us. Next slide. Follow, if you will, as I read. People of God for years have been required to exemplify faith in God. From Abraham and the sacrifice of his son to the children of Israel and their, and their journey to a place chosen of their heavenly father. 
The scripture is filled with examples of a need for faith in God and absolute truth and trust and obedience in him for his purpose and his word and in his law. Even as Paul noted on many occasions, there is purpose and reason for trust and obedience to God's word and law. What is it? And its intended tool is used for our fulfillment of what we are to become, true men and women of God that not only have faith in God as we did as children, but transition to having the faith of God. Next slide. What is unfortunate is that many of God's people have yet to make that transition and operate in this faith of God. It seems to be hard enough for us to simply live a life of obedience and righteousness with the many distractions, the lust of the eyes, you deal with that. The lust of flesh, you all deal with that. The pride of life, you all deal with that. The cares of this world, watch this, have regulated us to a survival mode where we tend excuse me, where we gain a huge sense of accomplishment to merely make it. We just want to get by. We just want to check the box. We want to punch the hole without sinning too much. We all have our own barometer for sinful activity that we believe is acceptable according to what our neighbors are doing. We aren't trying to make a transition. We're so stuck in surviving that in many cases we failed to realize there's another step. Next slide. The thought of actually being able to do the greater things that Jesus discussed, you can find it in John 14, 12, it's so far from the traditional believer that in many segments of Christian society, it is barely discussed. What Jesus did has become something we read about, something that we exalt with excitement and worship. And in most cases, we don't even consider it as something to be done by us mere mortals. After all, he was the son of God, right? We're just merely men and women. No, no, not so. We are the people of God and we should be operating in the faith of God. That's heavy, isn't it? Even as you were reading that, I'm sure many of you thought through this process, yeah, I, I do struggle with lust a little bit if you were to be honest. Yeah, I, I do struggle with lies a little bit. Yep, you know what? The cares of this world, paying my bills, getting ahead, getting these kids through college, making sure my wife is happy with my actions and my husband is pleased with me. Just going through that, hey, I'm single. I'm raising three kids alone. I don't have time to focus on greater. Yes, you do, and you should. He would never put more on than you that you can bear, and greater is he. Y'all don't want to go with me today, do you? It's okay. I'll get out. I'm getting excited all by myself. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. There really is no exam. There is no, there, there is no, um, you have no excuse except for what you put upon yourself. James saw this. He boldly took this journey. He wanted us to have such faith or at least understand it. And yes, we are to know that our Heavenly Father loves us and he'll provide for us according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. But he expects us to be as his firstborn son. A short look into scripture reveals that our Savior did not perform one such miracle, not one, until his baptism and Holy Spirit encounter. And there's a lot here, but I can't get into it. He was then led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and while persecuting his flesh through fasting. So simultaneously, for 40 days fasting, led into the wilderness, this is after baptism, being tempted of the devil at the same time. It was only then when he made it through the temptations of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the vexation, the controlling, the disciplining of his carnal appetites. It was only then that he was able to operate in the faith of God. This is where we need to be. Many of us haven't even made it through our wilderness experiences yet. 
we find salvation in the first five, six, seven days. Maybe on a Sunday we give our heart to the Lord. We commit fully. It's an exciting time when we become saved and spirit-filled, if that spirit-filling ever happens. And then we spend the next 30 to 40 years dealing in the wilderness. It's not until later in life that we begin that transition of, wow, you mean I can do the things that my Savior Jesus Christ did? Next slide. I hope the question comes, what then must be done or what must we do? How do we get there? And when I say, as I said earlier, I could spend six months here, I mean it. There's so much in the wilderness of our lives. There's so many things that we deal with with temptations and substances of our flesh. Oh my goodness, I think that theology and church has made an industry on how to get out of deliverance just to go back in to bondage. It's almost like the book of Judges. Some of y'all read the book of Judges. One day they're repentant and loving the Lord and free. The next day they're in bondage. Then they're repentant again and then they're in bondage. Then they're repentant again and then they're in bondage. Whether with Samson or Deborah or Gideon from one judge after the other. Outlining in some cases the current state of our own lives. Some days, don't you come to church and you're so excited when you leave? You're so fired up and filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. You're just ready to take on the world. As soon as you get in the car, your husband says, why haven't you cooked breakfast yet? And there went the Spirit. <laughs> I didn't cook because you didn't buy any food. I'm just kidding. I'm sure that didn't happen. Only in my car. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What must we do? Three basic things. Let's try to grab these in the next few minutes we have. Number one, we must be born again. Now, John, there's three scriptures here I want us to look at. John 3, 1 through 6 is the highlight. That's the one I'm going to read to you. But first, I want to talk about Luke 3, 21 and 22 and 4 and 1 and 2. It outlines what I just said. What was the process of Christ? First, in John 3, 22, it says, like every other man at that time, Jesus himself, too, came to be baptized. You know, if Jesus Christ instantly was already ready to go, anointed, spirit-filled, ready to work miracles, there would have been no need for baptism and there would have been no need for he himself to be spirit-filled. But he was a man like you and I, men and women in this room, showing us the course, not just to salvation, but to be born again and entrance into the kingdom. So 21 and 22 of Luke chapter 3, it talks about that Christ not only was baptized, but as he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. By the time you get to Luke chapter four, verse one, it goes further and says that the spirit of the Lord, not Jesus himself, that's important. But the spirit of the Lord that had infilled him led him where? To the wilderness to deal with his flesh. I'm not going to ask, is anybody there right now? But it's important for both those things to happen. It's not, can I say this? It's not just enough to be saved. Salvation comes with being spirit-filled. Don't kick me out too quick and don't boo me down too fast. Salvation is accepting that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Demons do that. Ooh, did he really say that? Yeah. It's that Marine side coming out. Blame it on the core. Salvation is more than just believing. It's accepting and receiving because the, your spirit has got to change. Look at John now, chapter 3. Open your Bibles to John. Right after Luke. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, by the way. He says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher 
come from God. He said, for no man can do the things which you are doing except God be with him. That's another hint, hint, clue, clue that you are capable of doing great things with God. When you have the faith of God, the things that you do will be very different than what other people will do to the point where somebody will come to you and say, I know he's with God. Look at what he's doing. When's the last time somebody said that about your accomplishments or your works? Amen. Jesus, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born again, look, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is another kingdom outside of the kingdom in which we operate in. Many of you know that. Pastor Davis taught us well. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. But the kingdom of God is God's kingdom regulated by his authority, regulated by his word, which means when you operate in God's kingdom, what is in this carnality has no authority over you. In fact, you're not only following the law, you are fulfilling and becoming what the law is when you walk in the kingdom. That's why it's important to understand, learn, teach, receive kingdom principles. Now watch this. Jesus answered and said, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answered and said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, with a capital S, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Here's another hard stop I'm going to throw at you. Have you been born of water? Yes, of course, because you're here. At some point, your mother's water broke and you came out. So that's a no-brainer. You can laugh at that. That, that. that was good. But the harder question is, have you been born of spirit, not your own? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit to come into your life? This type of teaching in a lot of areas is not popular. People don't like to talk about being spirit-filled because their thought is, oh, that means they have to fly around South Potomac speaking in unknown tongues, falling on the floor and roll around profusely. No, you don't. My Savior was spirit-filled, didn't speak in one tongue, except his native one. The purpose of speaking in tongues at the day of Pentecost was because on that event of Passover, there were Jews from all over the world at that time that heard the message of salvation in their own tongue by those disciples. Last I checked, most of us speak English. Of course, if you need Espanol, I'll bring my wife up to interpret. I have no problem with that. I won't be doing it. <laughs> Only because I haven't learned. But what is the point? The point is there is a process that you must go through after accepting Christ as your Savior, getting into your personal closet and uncomfortably saying, okay, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit because I cannot do this on my own. I can't fight this alone. I can't change my own mind. I see where my mind has brought me. I need greater things to work in me than what I am capable of. Lord, I need more than just faith in you. I need your faith. Man, I'm so excited. When I have your faith, when I operate in your spirit, then I can overcome the nature that I know is not yours because I not only need your spirit, I need your nature. I'll finish up this conversation with Nicodemus and then move on. That which is born of flesh is flesh, Jesus says in verse 6. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it blows. You can hear it, but you don't know where it's going and you don't know where it's coming. So are those that are born of the spirit. There is a clear difference between those born of the spirit and born of simply their own mother's womb. God is calling us as Christians 
to be born of the spirit. God is calling on those of us as Christians to make that transition. This is how we transition from having the faith in God to the faith of God. Number two, we must build upon our relationship with him. It's important for you to realize that just because you accept the spirit of God doesn't mean that your nature has changed overnight. Your nature has to line up with the nature of God. I'll give you an example. Just because I wear an eagle globe and anchor on that day, I use a lot of Marine Corps examples, forgive me. But just because I put an eagle globe and anchor on my chest that day when I cross over those sands doesn't mean I can uh, take apart and put back together an M16A2 service rifle in 17 and a half seconds. I have to practice. It has to become a habit. Just because you start work at, I don't know, monotronics on day one doesn't mean you instantly know how to install their product into every home in day two. It takes time. There's a process of learning. There's a process of habit. There's a process of changing. Romans 12 and 2 says, be not conformed to the things of this world, but be ye, look at you Bible readers, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. For what purpose? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of your father. You can't know the will of your father lest you read the will of your father so your mind can then be transformed. A lot of believers thought back in the day that once I asked the Holy Spirit into my life, that was it, I'm done. No, there has to be study behind it. There has to be worship behind it. There has to be some type of a process where you as the believer does all you can to transition to what God has for you to be. We understand it on jobs, we call it a moment in time of orientation. You know, when you first get hired, they say you're on probation for a certain amount of time, and you're there until you learn the process, and then they actually offer you benefits if you pass through probation well. Same way with the kingdom. You need to read. You need to pray. You need to worship. Now, worship is interesting because so many, so many really, when it comes to worship, we enter into God's, uh, into God's house and it feels so uncomfortable. I told Pastor Dave, I'm so excited about this church. You all don't know it yet, but you're about to go through a huge, huge growth spurt in the spirit. It feels so good watching you all and being a part of this family. I am so honored to be part of the South Potomac family. Something wonderful is happening here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And like anything that goes through something, there's labor pains before the child. If you ever ask a woman that's in labor if it hurts, that's not a good question. It's better to ask after the baby comes. Because somehow, even my wife, my dear baby, she's had four. None of them were my fault. Just kidding. I mean, not the pain anyway. The babies are mine. But... I remember the first time she had my first baby, my brother and I were trying to make light of things. We were trying to make her laugh. I will never do that again. But it was amazing how my wife transitioned in her whole attitude once the baby was born. When she put Chaney and Charlie in her arms, it was like there was no pain. And like everything else, as we go through our growth spurts here, something great is happening and there's some labor pains along the way. That's just a side note for you to be in prayer because the pain cannot be compared to the joy that will fill our hearts when God completes his process here at South Potomac Church. I'm excited about it. <laughs> Understand that it's not God's, it's not your faith, but it's God. I want, God's, I want to reach John chapter 15 to you. I'd like for you to open if you have it. John 15. We're going to start at verse Five, we're going to end at verse 7. Very important if you have your Bibles to read this with me or listen as I read aloud. Here, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You see it in the process? Without me, you can do nothing. Ask for the Holy Spirit. It's your connection back to your Savior who's permanently plugged into your Heavenly Father. 
Watch this now. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. Because life outside of connection, life outside of being plugged in and living in Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God, which is the way we live in him, is not life at all. You're simply existing until termination. But I don't know about you. I want to do more than just exist. Amen? Verse 7, key verse. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, the only way his word will abide in you is that you have to get his word in you. That takes time. That takes preparation. That takes discipline. But watch this. If your word, if his word abides in you, you will ask what you will and it might be done. It possibly could get done. Jesus said it shall be done. How amazing is that? And then finally, walk and live in the spirit. Once we accept Christ, to our lives, receive the, the Holy Spirit. We begin reading this word to develop our habits, develop our godly nature, study to show ourselves approved, transform our minds. Then it's time for application. Application, this part is very important because you've read a lot of scriptures, Andy, about living and walking in the Spirit. Yes, we have. There's many. A lot of scriptures. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All those things are important. For this, but for this particular point, I want to make it here, because it's all summed up in one word. It's called, or two words, selfless nature. It's not about being selfish. It's about being selfless. Everything gets to the point all of this teaching leads to this point. It's important for us to realize that when we receive God's spirit, when we read about God's word, the mind that's being transformed becomes a mind that is focused on others and not ourselves. That is the power of being spirit-filled. That is the power of following Christ. That is the power of having the faith of God versus having faith in in God. The difference between Jay and Terry is that Jay depends upon me to feed him. Terry is feeding his family. You got to see Jay and Terry as the same man to see the application here. I don't know the last time Terry bought himself a shirt because he's worn that quite a bit of times. <laughs> but Cindy always looks new and fresh. Go figure. Because we, as men of God, we have to live, what, selflessly. It's no longer about ourselves. I don't even see Christmas the same way I used to. I used to like Christmas. No, I'm serious. Christmas was a serious time for me. And birthdays, woo, everything revolved around those two days. Now, I don't even remember when my birthday is half the time. It catches me by surprise. And Christmas for me is all about the Lord Jesus so I don't have to buy any gifts for my children. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of. But at some point in that transition, you have to change. Life is no longer about you. Life becomes about others. And when you begin to live your life on behalf of others, that's one key that you're walking down that road of being spirit-filled. That's one key that the word of God is abiding in you. That is one key that shows you that you're maturing into a man or woman of God. We have enough Christians living selfishly. Come to church for selfish reasons. Boy, I hope the pastor don't keep me too long. Some of y'all said that. <laughs> Man, I hope that he pray. I hope Ernest plays the right song during worship. We get into this thing selfishly. I wonder what would happen if true saints of God, if the entire 
membership of South Potomac Church said, we're going to walk spirit-filled. We're going to be concerned about Charles County and the state of Maryland. We're going to be concerned about others and not ourselves. We're going to be in the world but not of the world because our mind is transformed. Let these things be in us, which was once in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine what would happen to our community? Hallelujah. I don't profess to be perfect, but I try hard to live there. I try to get there. And along the way, you know what I've noticed? I'm, I'm probably one of the most misunderstood people I know. I'm doing all I can to live my life for others. And it's hard when people hurt you. But the Lord said that those that hurt you, you should bless and pray for them all the more. Do you know how hard that is? I do. And it ain't easy. I know they say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt you. That's the biggest lie somebody ever said. <laughs> I'm serious. So be thankful for what you have. Live your life in order and learn to bless, break, and then give. Bless, break, and then give. Let me read this, this uh, last chapter I have for you in Matthew. I really believe this will get it though for you. Because it really did it for me. I thank God for the scripture again. Every time I read it. But literally, I did it again. I thanked him again for this. Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. The evening was come. Disciples came to him and said, look, Jesus, this is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. I want you to notice something, and I'm going to be careful stepping down because I wouldn't want to fall, but I want to be as close to you as possible. Wayne, is that okay? I won't, if I fall, you'll catch me? Thank you, brother. One thing that you'll know, the more selfless you become, trials don't look the same anymore. Problems don't even look the same anymore. Even when people hurt you, it doesn't even hurt the same way it used to. It's amazing how many, how many times it's happened to me and someone said, Charles, how could such and such do this to me? Or how could such and such do that to you? And my response is this. Well, you got to remember what they're going through. They could be hurting you and I because they're hurt themselves. It's unreasonable to request of your spouse to have everything in order when you get home just because all of a sudden you're home without considering what others have been through or even your enemies. I don't know anyone that's ever woken up in the morning and said, I just want to get on as many people's nerves as possible today. <laughs> I want to be so disliked and hated that by the time I go to sleep, I have at least 15 million people that want to kill me. I've never met anybody like that. But here's the truth. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. It's amazing how much more patience you have for people when you started your day good and you have, good, and you have a good attitude. But you have a nasty one and somebody crossed you the wrong way. They're going to find out all about you. You know what the word of God says about you? You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You know what the Bible says about you? You are the light of the world. A light only has place in darkness. A light fulfills its best purpose when it's darkest. Some of y'all will get that on the way home. Darkness is a good thing. Did he really say that? Yes, because the worst situations are, that's why you're there. Hallelujah. Not a lot of shouting down on that one, is it? Now watch this. So they came to Jesus here in chapter 14. They said, listen, we're in a desert place. These 5,000 need food. So actually more than 5,000. It was 5,000 not counting the children and the women or the women and children. Listen to what, how Jesus deals with this trial. He says this, but Jesus said to them, they don't have to depart, give you them to eat. In other words, don't send them anywhere, you feed them. 
That's someone that's operating in the faith of God versus having faith in God. Disciples are a bit confused when they said, we don't have anything here but these two fishes and five loads. Jesus said, bring them to me. And the first thing he did, may I read it to you, is he blessed it. First, he had him sit down in order. But this is the purpose. This is the key point. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave thanks. He gave thanks. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. Not one time in the scripture do you read that Jesus himself ate anything. And and, in fact, after he thanked God for it, and he broke it and he blessed it, the next thing you see is he gave it to his disciples. And then his disciples gave it to the people. The Bible says that by the time they were done eating, they had 12 baskets full left over. We talk about the scripture often. Do you ever think about the boy who actually gave up his lunch? Think about the little boy thinking, my mom prepared for this. I got mine. I'll help one person, but I can't give. He gave his whole lunch up. Now, can you imagine the child's mom when he comes back home with 12 baskets full of food? She sent him out with one lunch. He comes back with enough groceries for a week. Do you see the principle? Do you see the selflessness? Do you see the faith of God versus the faith in God? Even with his disciples following him around for years, at least two, even with them following and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, even Peter said, you are Christ, the son of the living God, they still had a problem operating in the of. They were still having the faith in when Jesus is asking of us to operate in the faith of. In conclusion, I want to read an excerpt out of this book. It's a quick one, though, but again, I want you to hear, and then I want you to challenge yourself and ask yourself this question. What is keeping you from having the faith of God? I didn't ask, why are you saved? I didn't ask, how long has it been since you've been spirit-filled? I didn't ask that. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is keeping you from having the faith of God? The gift of faith is distinguished by other by all other forms of faith, by the fact that it is supernatural, it is sovereign, and it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in work. In Matthew 21 and Mark 11, we read that Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem with his disciples, came to a fig tree by the wayside. Jesus was seeking fruit. When he found that the tree contained only leaves, and no fruit, he pronounced a curse upon it, and he said, no, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. The next day, as Jesus and his disciples passed the same tree, the disciples were astonished to see within 24 hours it had withered up from the roots. When Peter noticed it, he said, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed, it's withered. And to Peter's comment, Jesus replied, have faith in God. Now, this is how it has been translated in the English. However, what Jesus actually said in its most literal form, have God's faith. This statement highlights the special kind of faith we are speaking of here, faith as a gift. Faith has its origin, not in man, but in God. It is an aspect of God's own eternal nature. Through the gift of faith, the Holy Spirit imparts a portion of God's own faith directly and supernaturally to the believer. This is faith on a divine level, as high above mere human faith as heaven is above earth. In saying have God's faith, Jesus challenges us and his disciples to receive and exercise this kind of faith just as he did himself. He went on to tell them that with faith of this kind, they would not only be able to do what he had done and what he'd seen them do to the fig tree, they would also be able to speak to this mountain and it would be removed. Truly I say unto you, whosoever has faith and does not doubt shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but will even say to this mountain, be taken up, off and cast into the sea, and it shall happen. 
Jesus set no limit to the scope of this kind of faith. He used an all-inclusive word, whosoever. In Luke 8, 22, we see that as Jesus and his disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat, there was a, suddenly a storm overtaken by an unnaturally violent storm. Disciples woke them up and said, Master, Master, don't you care that we perish? He rebuked the wind and the waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. Now, hear this. Obviously, the faith that Jesus exercised here was not on a human level. But yet, Jesus still asked the question, where is your faith? To the disciples. In other words, he asked them, why couldn't you have done that? Why did I have to do it? He implied that it would have been just as easy for his disciples to have calmed the storm as it had been for him if they had simply exercised the right kind of faith. But in the moment of crisis, hear me now, the impact of the storm on the disciples' senses had opened way to fear. And where there is fear, there is the lack of faith. Father, my prayer is that every single person under your servant's voice would receive this word and challenge themselves. Certainly not an easy challenge, but one that must be done in this journey we call Christianity nonetheless. From the greatest of us to the least of us, we all must ask ourselves that question to you. Where is our faith? And in that transition from faith in you to having your faith, we need to overcome our flesh. We need to overcome our pride. We need to overcome distractions. We need to grow up in you. In the name of Jesus, I ask for that power to be given to all of us. If we simply reach and seek you and ask, we know that there's nothing you cannot do. And you can do all things through our Savior, your Son, because he gives us strength and we should be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And if he's overcome it, so then can we. Let this be a charge for us all. And in so doing, we pray that we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.